Welcome back to America Speaks. I want to first mention that in order to catch up with Allegra Love, given her demanding schedule right now, we had to conduct this interview on her cell phone. Not always the best sound quality, but given the increasing suffering of migrant families seeking asylum, we really are very grateful that she could make time for us today to discuss what's going on at the border. So, Allegra, once again, I want to really thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Yes, absolutely, and I can't echo what you're saying enough. We're sinking lower and lower, but for um, people who are in my line of work, it feels like the bottom has fallen out, and we're in free fall right now in terms of understanding just how terrible we can be and horrible we can be to our neighbors to the South who are suffering and the refugees who are seeking. You know, this is not a political conversation. We as a society need to go in one of two different directions. We need to either step up and stand up for the brotherhood of humanity, or we go in the direction that is creating the suffering. Those are the two directions I see at this point. Do you? Yeah, and I think that this is mistakenly characterized, like you said, as a political argument or a bipartisan argument. That's all it is. And to turn it into a political debate and to think that you have to take sides on this one is losing the opportunity that we all have to embrace the situation with love and to think of solutions and policy answers to this problem that are based in love and caring and opening up our arms. Anyone can do that. It doesn't matter if you're Republican. It doesn't matter if you voted for Trump. You're not required to fall in line and justify tear-gassing babies or having people sleeping in the streets south of the border or seeing people detained in this country. You know, I think that we use the political mask as a way of finding some way we can live with ourselves to get out of participating. You know, it's like it's our excuse. We find every excuse in the world. Yeah, and I was looking at comments from reasonable people on Facebook. You know, people who I wouldn't assume hateful. And they said, you know, better tear gas than bullets. They seem to be missing the point that we don't have to fire anything at these individuals. We don't have to hurt them at all. No requirement that they be stopped, that they be met with violence or be met with force that we can literally meet them with love. So justifying gassing people because it's better than bullets is just in the point entirely that we don't have to use force at all. And that traditionally we never have. And I want to dispel a myth here, if I could. What is the figures of people who are here illegally who have overstayed their visas versus those that are trying to come in and seek asylum at the border? I don't know. It's murky. They're like literally like it's an apples and oranges discussion. Uh-huh. So talking about people who overstayed visas has no part in talking about the people who are waiting on our border to get a political asylum. I don't even think it's like worth reading into. There are 11 million, they say, there are 11 million undocumented individuals in the United States. It's a moving target and it's hard to know why or what their process is. Now, I am a expert in the field of law and I am an attorney. I practice federal law. I practice asylum law. When people ask for folks to do this the right way and they say, please immigrate to our country the legal way, the masses of people you're seeing up against our border right now are doing it the legal way. So if you're one of these people who's like, I'm fine with immigrants as long as they do it legally, 
Every single one of these folks down the border are trying to do it legally. There's nothing unlawful, even irregular, about what they're trying to do. So, Allegra, I think that's a really, um, a really important point because I was listening to some commentary last night, and for those of us who understand that this is legal, of course there are a lot of people that don't understand how someone who is not a part of our country can still apply to somebody who isn't under our Constitution because they're not an American citizen. And their point was, it is absolutely illegal for them to ask for asylum. That does not guarantee that they will get it. And I think there's a disconnect between, you know, this this herd, this horde of wild, lawless people that are coming into our country. Not everybody will get asylum. And considering that there is something like 750,000 cases backlogged, the odds of people getting asylum with this administration are probably even greater diminished. Am I wrong in that? No, you're absolutely correct. People don't want to listen. All these facts are out there is basic information, and people prefer to adopt the ideologies that support their political position. I mean, it's insane that you could have an ideology about what the legal procedure, what is processed and fact, what is the substance of the law in the situation, that instead you would be like, this is my ideology around the situation, that it's not legal, but it is. We've become so, like, in our camp on this issue that we're refusing to believe the facts of the situation. I mean, excuse me of like trying to coach people to come across the border or I'm helping people speaking to the U.S. I've been on the Mexican philosophy trying to put people into U.S. custody. I'm trying to get people detained by our government. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to circumvent any laws. I'm saying, please detain my clients. Please put them in your custody and put them in an immigration jail. So far from where I started my career, you know, detention is wrong, asylum seekers shouldn't be detained. We are begging Border Patrol right now to detain our clients. That is a conversation that has got to be clarified. But before we do that, all of the efforts that you spend, uh, that's the key word here. It costs so much money to represent each client because they don't have the money. So you are doing this, for the most part, pro bono, correct? We have never once in our entire history of the thousands and thousands of clients we've helped charged anyone a single dime for our services. What we do is totally provided for free. Whether it's the world's most difficult asylum case to the world's most simple renewal for a dreamer to renew their deferred action. Everything is free. We certainly believe in our organization that... The good that we gain, the positive impact on our community, having these folks safe and healthy and cared for with legal services in our country far outweighs the amount of money we need to provide legal services for them. It's an investment in community and in the future of our country. Absolutely. So with that said, we're sitting here in December. And I think it's critical that every one of us really put aside this sense of hopelessness and despair and get involved. And the easiest way to get involved, and that no contribution is too little, is where can people send you their tax-deductible gift? website, which is www.santafedreamersproject.org, and all the information is there clearly on the tab that says donate. And I can't really stress to you enough about this. People always say, like, oh, really, a donation? Can't I do more? 
that there are many causes all of us are involved in. There's no question. But right now in our society and in our place in this country, and actually because it is our fault, I mean, I'm going to be clear, we have set up the conditions that have created the strife, the struggle, and the violence in Central America. And as well, we are a nation that stands for so-called freedoms. And really, we have always represented the white flag to come over here for people who have been persecuted. And we are certainly changing that direction. But just think of it this way. If you have helped one person to find a place in our justice system, to have Allegra and her team of attorneys help, then you have become part of the solution. You know, there's something specific about giving money where you can actually see how your dollars are going towards something that without your support, these services would really be hard to come by. Wonderful about the kind of donations we get, small individual donations, is that they're unrestricted. I have grants that fund a lot of our programs. But when we have unrestricted donations from people, then when there's a crisis on the border and I need to send a staff, I had to send three staff members to Mexico City a few weeks ago to meet the trans caravan. And I have the unrestricted funds to do that and be responsive and reactive and flexible with with the problems because the Trump administration is redefining cruelty to our clients and we can't possibly write a grant for a year from now to be able to understand what we're going to need to do next week, you know? Right, and so having right. this unrestricted funding from small donations is an incredible resource for us to be able to respond on a weekly basis to what our clients are needing and to what the movement is needing. No, oh, I think that is so vital. So everybody, this is our effort that we're all making. I'm going to make it. Kim's going to make it. We're all going to do what we can. And with that, Kim, you and I were talking about what the new face of this military presence is on the border. Do you have a question for Allegra on that? Well, I think that it's very easy for all of us to see that our troops are being put into a position that frankly, that they didn't need to be put into. We've been hearing about this caravan coming for, I don't know how many weeks now, and then all of a sudden the election happens and it got really quiet and now it's heated up again. We had plenty of time to prepare for folks who could go to the border and actually receive these asylum seekers in a semi-organized way, but yet that didn't happen. The choice was made to send a military presence. Imagine, like, Trump deployed these troops probably weeks before Thanksgiving, right before the midterms. And you're just thinking to yourself, great, with all the money and the resources that we've used for that, we could have been setting up camps, warm, safe refugee camps, either in Mexico or in the United States, 
or binationally, and said, look, we know there's 300 children under the age of five in that group, rather than just baiting them into confrontation so that we can use a lethal show of force, we could have been spending this money to have our military setting up camps for them. That's the difference. Oh. We're choosing to confront it with force and not with love. It makes me sick. I have watched a lot of conflicts with the UN. I have been in conflict zones. I have seen conflicts that we have created. This is untenable for us to wrap our heads yeah. around. It really is. You know what? I was with a small group of trans asylum seekers on the border this week. What I was going to mention was that I can easily understand the desperation that this crowd in Tijuana is feeling that would lead them to sort of charge at the border. This group I've been with is hunkered down in this abandoned shelter is the best way I can describe it. There's no heat, there's no running water. It's freezing where we were. And we're receiving, finally, humanitarian aid from a nearby United States city, but it's terrible and desperate and they're just like a couple cinder blocks away from being on the street and again they will not let them through the ports of entry and so that's a small group of about 50 people we've been working with now make it a hundred times more you know right that's what we're thinking of when we're thinking about what's going on in Tijuana. that's what i mean by the u.s is dating them into this behavior Of course it's out of desperation i challenge everybody listening and beyond to put yourself in this situation and see what you would do. And I'm not saying that these people are behaving irrationally, but maybe there's one person and people are so bursting with frustration and persecution. You know, this is how long does this go on in a life? And then you see how children are affected by this. So I have to go immediately to this question now. Where do you think the intersection will be with the new president of Mexico and his way of dealing with this and how he deals with Trump? Yeah, I don't really know much about AMLO and his policies. And, you know, there was a new story this weekend that he's going to agree with the Remain in Mexico plan. I just don't understand how that plan would be tenable for Mexico. Because you mentioned the backlog of asylum seekers in our country. To have tens of thousands of people waiting in Mexico for the U.S. courts to catch up with their asylum case, I just don't know what Mexico has to gain from that. So it makes me wonder what, inside those negotiations, like what our government is threatening Mexico with either action or what they're threatening to withhold if they don't agree with the remain in Mexico plan. Also, you have to really look at the reality of what that would set up. More crime, more desperation, and it's not like those that have made it that far could return to their country. So there's that. There's the difficult season of rains. We're going to have a really wet rainy season this year. I mean, there's just so many things to impact. We are living as if we want to just close our eyes. I mean, it's just horrible. So I have to say that we're very lucky to hear your perspective because you represent the transgender community of those who are truly persecuted with no options. I want to underscore that. So these people have a death sentence on them for where they are right now, if they're still remaining in Central America or even in Mexico, wherever. Now they're trying to save their lives and they find as Roxana did, because she had HIV, 
she takes the conditions that she has and she's looking for one last final way to have a life and tell everyone what happened to her. The autopsy report came out as part of a lawsuit on Monday saying Noxana entered U.S. custody and then came to see the She was extremely dehydrated and she ended up dying of dehydration. You know, she had been vomiting and having diarrhea and she was not given the medical care she needed to survive that. Now, Roxana was HIV positive, so she was immunocompromised. You know, I'm not a doctor, but I have trouble understanding why she wasn't immediately hooked up to an IV and rehydrated as like the very basic care she needed to get well. What the autopsy report instead suggests is that she was shackled and beaten in U.S. custody, that she had bruises around her wrists and on her back that show that she was shackled really tightly and beaten with batons. This is a young woman fleeing horrible persecution in Honduras who turned herself in and asked for protection and the people who could have protected her instead of helping rehydrate her and get her body into the healthy place it needed to be to withstand attention, beat her. I'm not surprised at all by the contents of this report. We know this happens. We're working day in and day out in a facility where we know these sorts of things are happening and no one will listen to us. It almost sounds too ghoulish to be true. Mm. So I'm really, really grateful that our colleagues have put out this lawsuit that has the autopsy report so people can say, like, look, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to create a dramatic, ghoulish narrative to stuck with our government. This is actually what's happening. And people tell us this every I actually lumped this in to the young people who were injected with psychotropic drugs. This is violence against humanity. We need to label it for what it is. I don't know how you deal with this on a daily basis because you see so much data that proves that we are at fault here. I'm sort of on this vibe right now where I'm saying like we don't need to meet people with cruelty. We can meet them with love. That's not opening our borders and saying kumbaya. Love is hooking someone with HIV up to an IV to rehydrate her rather than beating her nearly to death. That is what I'm talking about when I talk about love. Love doesn't have to be opening borders and letting all these people in. It's treating them with basic human dignity and giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're not criminal, that they're not a bad person, and that they are sincerely on their knees asking for help and helping them up from their knees rather than kicking them like an animal. That has become our MO right now. That is who we are under this administration. And yeah, we've had a lot of faults under past administration, but we have turned a corner here. So I read that Barbara Lee, the representative from Northern California, Oakland, she has actually requested that the United Nations send observers and humanitarian experts to the border. I'm composing a letter to ask her to send them into a lot of these institutions as well. There is no accountability. So if you get a situation like what Roxana was the brunt of, there's nobody that is monitoring the behavior of what goes on in these institutions. Is there, Allegra? No. Very little monitoring and accountability that happens at these centers. We've had clients raped. We've had clients attempt suicide. We have clients who are being held in solitary confinement for months on end. We cannot compel investigation and oversight on this behavior. The other part of this is 
we haven't even dealt with the children who've been separated from their families. And I'm not just talking about this last year's caravan. I'm talking about the mounting numbers, the amount of children that are in detention. It's, as you said, bottomless. Then you add the transgender communities going through, and then you add all of the other elements. It really is akin to watching what I would say is epidemic with this, so that now it's like one more story about it. This is dangerous, where we have become immune to the full extent of how this will really label us as a country that's heartless and cold and without love. And I don't think it's a political change of realms, but I do ask you, can this be repairable? And what would that look like? We can turn it around today. We can start opening our ports of entry. We can start calling the UN in. We can have our army start putting up warm, safe, clean places for these families to wait out political asylum. We don't need Congress to act. We just need our executive to order it. He's not going to. No. We are not too far gone as a country for this. We can change lethal force to responding to this with humanitarian aid like instantaneously. But not as long as our president is whipping up the right to think that we need lethal force. Yeah. And what's really sad is a lot of the people are like good Christian people. Mm-hmm. I believe that. They need to be coached into believing that they need to hurt babies. Oh. And if they were given the option and, the, and there was a moral leadership to show them that there are ways to welcome these folks in without compromising national security, without giving them all papers, that we could do that. This important step that has to happen where we lose the outrage to figuring out what can actually be done. Mm-hmm. Because just being outraged isn't going to help anyone. The work of figuring out which group are organizing right now to either litigate what's going on or to prepare for civil disobedience or to coordinate volunteers is also another really, really good source to give money to. Absolutely. I want to remind everybody that one group that we know that is in vital need of this and uses it directly case by case is the Santa Fe Dreamers Project. Allegra, do you post like-minded groups on your website? I do. And I also work with legal groups, and I'm not totally sure who is coordinating for volunteers and donations in Tijuana and who is coordinating a sort of humanitarian response. But I can tell you the legal groups I work with who I know are having an impact in that area. And that, of course, is our organization, Santa Dreamers Project. And then two of my favorites are a place called Al Otro Lado, which works in San Diego and Tijuana. It's a bi-national organization that has just about some of the best lawyers I've ever come across. Can you spell also, that for everybody? Yeah, it's Al Otro Lado. It's Al Al Otro O T R O Lado. L-A-D-O, which is Spanish for the other side. That's a fantastic place to um, give donations to. And and what's a little less well-known is called Innovation Law Lab. And they are a fantastic organization that helps coordinate large-scale legal response to difficult problems. I don't know what their website is off the top of my head, but if you just Google Innovation Law Lab, it's a Portland-based group 
that they have done incredible national work and truly have informed almost everything that I do in terms of the way that I design my legal services and the way that I think about creative problem solving to difficult problems. Um, I can't recommend them more for their humanity and their creativity and their innovation in terms of addressing these problems. That's so amazing. Kim, do you have anything you would like to say in closing? I just add the website to Innovation Law Lab, which is, uh, that makes perfect sense. It's innovationlawlab.org. That's the, the website that, or the uh, organization that Allegro was just talking about. I, I just really, I want to read something that the mayor of, of Tijuana released. He said, I, on the other side, unfortunately, I cannot agree on the use of force, not even that type of force that is tear gas or rubber bullets. Gastelum referred to his call for humanity, reiterated his call for humanitarian aid from the Mexican government and the United Nations, saying Tijuana couldn't support the migrants on its own. During this situation, the federal government should do its job, and that is give us shelter, give them food, water, medicine, everything that a person needs to be dignified and have a place where they can stay dignified, he said. And if the federal government is not capable of helping, Mexico should approach the United Nations for assistance. This is a matter of humanity, he said. This is a matter for being good to your countrymen and fellowship. So I think it goes back to Allegra's point about just meeting the situation with love as opposed to fear and force and hatred and othering because the situation is only going to get worse and it is going to impact these people, our two countries, and our systems in ways that I don't know that we understand right now. That's Mm -hmm. really unfortunate. So I just want to applaud you for what you do, Allegra, because this is not easy work, and it's work that I know you come up against a lot of ignorance and a lot of folks who don't understand why you do it. And once again, encourage everyone to support Allegra and some of the other organizations that she's mentioned, uh, Allegra's organization, the Santa Fe Dreamers Project. Amen. It would be easy to say, this is just too much for me. I can't do this every day. And yet you do this every day. And you do this more than from an office and from a courtroom where it's needed. You get on a train and you travel with people who are coming up from La Bistia, or whether you go into a shelter that has the worst conditions. You share those experiences with these people as an attorney, but as a human being as a woman and so we have so much to learn from you and I really just want to say this let me just tell you this anything that I want people to understand who might not know that is that you will feel better if you open yourself up to that and yes the work might be hard consensus might be hard on this but it is definitely the easier way to be in this world I just say right now you are the voice for thousands and I thank you I just hope everybody is really listening let's turn this around and be a miracle for the universe that would be amazing thank you Allegra really you're welcome If you have protested for anything in the past 18 years, you very well may be in my book, I Protest. Please go to my website, tishlampert.org, that's www.tishlampert.org, and see if you can find yourself in my book. You can also follow me on Twitter, at tishlampertcom. That's at T-I-S-H-L-A-M-P-E-R-T-C-O-M.
And find me on Instagram, T-I-S-H underscore L-A-M-P-E-R-T underscore O-R-G. And I want to invite everyone to go to Tish Lampert's America Speaks on Apple Podcasts, where you can find our archived episodes. And once again, I want to thank James Koblenz, Oscar Batista, and Kim Langbacker, without whom this episode would not be possible. And lastly, we would love to hear from you. Please write to us at americaspeakspodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you thought of today's episode and come back for our next episode of America Speaks. Remember, America Speaks believes every one of us has a story. And a voice. <laughs>